Hey, good evening, everyone. Uh, welcome to an, another episode of Bright Lights, our weekly uh, excursion into the world of achievement. Uh, I'm Lisa Johnson, your host, coming to you live from our studio here in North Minneapolis. And before we get started, of course, as always, uh, go out and visit LisaJohnson.com, uh, press the notification bell, uh, subscribe, uh, donate, and visit our online store. Uh, tonight's guest is a young uh, entrepreneur, uh, family man. Uh, his name is Jonathan Mason. Uh, I've known him for a while and he's been doing some great works. I, I first met him because I had some work in the social media uh, area and we worked there and we just stayed in touch. Uh, and in this life, when you meet uh, good people. It's good to keep them in your network. And you hope that uh, it's good for them to keep you in their network. Uh, so, okay, so I, I, I normally just start off the broadcast with some something that happened the previous week. Of course, this week, uh, it was uh, uh, Dr. Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King's birthday. And by the way, uh, when a person is a reverend and they're a doctor, I normally hardly ever leave their titles off. I think they've earned it. Uh, and I know even uh, my experience in church, uh, sometimes people call our pastors and things by their first name. I, I've always had an issue with that because I think that's a title that people earn. Well, uh, so looking back over the uh, weekend, the celebration of Martin Luther King Day, I had some reminiscences myself, as a lot of you know, uh, I grew up during the civil rights era, and uh, of course, I had a great admiration for the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King. But you know, the other part of that, though, is that there was a lot of other people. You know, for every uh, person who personify a movement, there are soldiers out there who's actually going on the battlefield with them and, and accomplishing things and sacrificing. And where I'm getting to is that I remember in particular. Uh, a young man, relatively young man from my hometown. Uh, I grew, uh, I was a member of the Daughters of Zion Baptist Church, and there was a family that came there, uh, came to our church. Uh, I think her name was Ethelina, and we call her Ping and her children. Uh, long story short, there, uh, their family, uh, the husband, her husband, uh, ended up being a victim of the civil rights movement. And for those of you out in the audience who's curious about this, his name is Warlist Jackson. That's W-H-A-R-L-E-S-T Jackson. And there's been some documentary on the History Channel and other places on him and his life. But the long story short there, my grandfather worked at a place called Armstrong Tire and Rubber Company. And like a lot of those companies back in those days, there was a lot of institutional and even personal racism going on. Uh, and Wallace Jackson was the secretary of the local NAACP. And uh, as a result of the civil rights movement, uh, the management at Armstrong uh, Tire and Rubber Company decided to promote uh, some black people to higher position, positions that was uh, traditionally, uh, historically, held for only white people. Long story short there, uh, Mr. Horace Jackson, uh, much to the consternation of his wife at the time, applied for and received a job 
uh, as supervisor. And that rubbed some of the uh, white employees at the company the wrong way. As a matter of fact, uh, history proved that some of them was members of the uh, Ku Klux Klan. Uh, and then one night after the promotion, uh, after work, he went out and got in his car, driving home, and they had put a car bomb uh, in his car, and it went off when he turned the signal light on the, uh, to make a turn. And long story short, uh, it, it killed him. And a couple of little other incidents about that. Uh, his son, Orlis Jackson Jr., uh, actually came upon the scene when he heard the explosion and actually saw his dad there. Uh, and so there were, for every Martin Luther King, for every general, there are colonels, lieutenant colonels, captains and things, and foot soldiers out there. And I think we should keep them in mind when we're celebrating uh, those who are, who are at the top. Uh, the interesting thing is the murder was never uh, solved. It's still an open case, and uh, we suspect that uh, most of the culprit now are no, no longer living. And then to uh, kind of top that off, his wife and his children were in a car accident uh, some years later, and uh, ended up she ended up being a victim of auto accident in one of his daughters. And so that's why I tell people uh, when we when you're thinking life is unfair to you, uh, as my dad always indicated to me in so many words in his own way, uh, life is not fair to hardly any of us. We can't go through life looking for fairness. And you know, many of you are probably familiar with my uh, dad's quote that fair is a place where they judge pigs. And my dad never wanted to hear me complaining about whether life was fair or not. Uh, we have to continue on. So uh, as we are uh, celebrating uh, major figures in different movements, Always keep in mind that there, and I got some other stories like that. There are other uh, people in the, uh, let's say, army who has made similar sacrifice. So, uh, in recognition of uh, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, all the people who served him, all the courageous people, and I got a lot of stories there. Uh, we, uh, I guess, look back and thank him for helping the pro the pro making the progress that we have and i tell everybody uh, i owe him and everyone an obligation because uh, i'm standing on their shoulders and one of my goals in life is if when i leave here uh, i leave some so uh, shoulders for uh, the next generation to uh, stand on so that's my uh, weekend review uh, introduction. Uh, now we're going to bring on our guest, uh, Mr. Jonathan Mason. Uh, welcome to Bright Lights, Jonathan. Hey, Lacey. Thank you for having me. All right. It's good to see you again. As I mentioned to in my introduction, uh, I think we first became acquainted when I had some uh, social media needs, and he came in and gave a pitch, him and his team, and they were young, enthusiastic, and I really uh, like what they said. And, you know, sometimes uh, in business meetings, uh, uh, you are skeptical and you think people are mainly motivated by the business and the money. 
and it's good every once in a while to set in business meetings where you can tell people are genuinely and yeah, we want to make money in this business, but it's not just money in business. It's that we uh, care about you and the cost that you're doing. And so I really appreciated that from you and your team. And as I said, uh, to have you in my network. So, Jonathan, Absolutely. let's get started here. And let's learn a little bit about you. And as I said uh, in our brief uh, pre-podcast chat uh, here, uh, we like to focus on achievers and how they what they did their attitude perspective reaction to things uh that helped them get where they are uh as i explained and i mentioned several times is that uh, one of my uh, goals and objectives is to reach out young people who as i see it and i'm willing to hear something different uh all day every day hearing a lot of negative things and it's unlike when I was growing up where it was just all positive, focus on what we need to do uh, to be successful in life. So with that in mind, let's get started, yeah. uh, Mr. Mason. Okay, so yeah. tell us a little bit about uh, your background, where you're from, your family, uh, and just growing up, uh, as your childhood, uh, Jonathan. Absolutely. So I am a native of uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota. I was born right here in uh Robbinsdale at North Memorial Hospital. Um, I have um, a brother and four other sisters. Um, my father, he is originally from uh, Memphis, Tennessee. He actually left Tennessee um, due to, you know, the Ku Klux Klan and um, went up north to um, Chicago, um, was raised, born in Chicago, um, came to, went to Vietnam, came back, uh, came to Minnesota, um, and met my mother. And my mother, um, she is from Minnesota. She's from, uh, you know, Anoka area, Maple Grove, Anoka area, um, born and raised. Um, and then, you know, they met um, 80, 86, had me 87. Um, and, you know, from there, I was uh, raised in, you know, for the most part, I grew up in North Minneapolis um, and then also on the su suburb called Crystal. Um, went to school at um, <clears throat> Cooper High School, then went to Armstrong to play football. Um, eventually went to college, um, several different colleges, but ended up at uh, University of Wisconsin Stout. Uh, ended up majoring in uh, criminal justice, um, criminology. Um, and a lot of people, when I say that, they're like, hold on, Jonathan, hold on. You've been quite critical of um, law enforcement and other agencies, but it's really not um, per se on any individual cop or no, I mean the whole institution as a whole. Um, usually it's an incident one-on-one, um, -on -one. but I got my degree, um, got into the school, Minneapolis Public School District, wanted to make a difference in my community immediately. Um, I am very familiar with the North side um, and growing up and I wasn't the easiest uh, child or teenager growing up in Minneapolis. Um, so I did have adversity. My father died when I was 12, unfortunately, um, of cancer and left my mom, you know, really to have to work and fend for herself. You know, she wasn't eligible to get welfare or anything like that. So she had to work and put in them long hours each and every day. She was a small business owner, uh, a hair salon dr and dresser. Um, so I was out here 
you know, as a young, you know, minority black man trying to figure it all out, um, looking for guidance, ultimately found guidance within the police department because I was always getting in trouble. Um, but um, eventually got, you know, got married at a very young age, um, had children starting at 21. Um, and that really helped propel me and get me in this um, this life where, you know, I'm working and doing business and, you know, raising a family. So that's where I kind of started up. And that's kind of the beginning part of me. Well, a couple of things, marrying uh, young. And I say to people, uh, what determines separate boys from men, men have families and wives and they take care of family and wives and those yeah. responsibility. And, you know, it's, it's hard Absolutely. to be, hundred uh, percent man without that, in my opinion. And that's what, oh, absolutely boys. Uh, and I think it was TD Jakes that says marriage is for grownups. <laughs> Grown it is. It absolutely yeah. is. Yeah. And I, and, and, and to elaborate on that uh, just for a bit, um, being married, having children, um, staying up late nights, trying to figure it out, fight these temptations out here it, it it creates a better person so overall you know that's the route if you want to be a solid individual go that route yeah i have to have you meet my uh, audio engineer here you'll meet him one day he has a similar family man settle down early entrepreneur i'm not going to call him out now because it might uh, embarrassing him here uh but uh, uh you you two uh, have similar path here so now Let's talk about uh, your father died, you said, when you were 12. Yeah. Uh, and you got in trouble, sound like it. Uh, and you encountered uh, members of the police department. Uh, and it sounded like, though, that they had a positive influence on you and in a way uh, kind of uh, were a substitute father. Had the substitute figure father in my life. Figure for you in your life. So why don't you explain that a little bit? Yes, absolutely. So, um, you know, when my I was on a straight narrow path, basically, my father was here, you know, Vietnam vet, grew up in Chicago, a former uh, gangster disciple, growth and development enforcer in Chicago with Larry Hoover and them um, came up here, kept me on path, you know, you know, taught me really well. But when he died, unfortunately, um, you know, you know, as a young black man, 12, 13 years old, I wasn't really, you know, with my dad's type of raising, I wasn't listening to many other father figures or any other men. So my encounters um, would start early. Um, I had gotten trouble, um, you know, stealing and doing, you know, petty stuff around the neighborhood. Um, but I did actually meet um, several police along the way, but one in particular actually um, really took a liking to me and really told told me, you know, Jonathan, you're over north and you're in Plymouth and you're in New Hope and you're in Golden Valley and, and every the same issues are everywhere. And it's looking like you are the 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 middle of each of these situations. And really it dawned on me and said, you know what? Um I gotta do better. Um and and you know, was I perfect after that? Absolutely not. But it did keep me out of those um, particular situations where I, you know, as a type of individual like myself, would have got myself probably dead in or in jail. So now, with your some some, you've had some positive experience with the police department. 
uh, I'm assuming because sometimes we oversimplify things and we right. kind of look at the world as cartoons, as good guys and bad guys, when right. really in all of us there's good and bad and, and things right. like that. Where I'm getting to is that uh, I, 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 in the George Floyd situation, I would think that you had somewhat of a nuanced, if that's the right word, a perspective on that. I mean, I'm I'm thinking that you yes. didn't look at it. Okay, why don't you describe? Yeah, and I can elaborate that. on that. And yeah. and so after this time, I you know you know growing up as a young man, having these experiences with police, were they the best? No, not all the time. But I did have. I understood that there are differences in people, regardless of your professional background. And mm-hmm. so you know. As I was working in the Minneapolis public schools, as they, you know, were teaching kids victimhood, like you were saying earlier, um, I took it upon myself to know challenge individuals within the Minneapolis public schools to demand more, you know, more technology solutions and resources for our children. And and this is where I actually um, entered my arena to fight for injustices, right? Because mm-hmm. I was seeing our young black kids. Um, graduating schools and they're saying that their proficiency rates are only three out of every five kids are proficient in reading and math. And mm-hmm. so this, you know, I was going to the school board meetings and, you know, talking to the Don Samuels and the Ed, Ed Graffs and everybody, Kim Ellison's um, inside of these systems and nothing was actually happening, nothing on them, but per se the whole institution. Mm-hmm. And so as I was deep in and di- digging in that, um, it brought me on to this more this this other cause, which was this criminal justice reform that you know we see taking place. People are throwing around these arguments: of, all police are bad, some police are bad. And I I said, let me try to take part of the narrative, right? And and when there is a bad cop, let's call it out. But if there are good cops, let's call that out as well. Um, and so with the George Floyd incident, and it, it, it and I was on several different cases and situations prior, like the Thurman Blevins and, you know, Justine Naman and Philando Castillo, Jamar Clark, where, you know, these individuals were killed. It was a sicky situation. We, you know, we didn't have the cameras or we were fighting for it with the BCA. But this George Floyd incident was a little different because we were able to see it in live time. And, and, and it, it, it brought out a lot of um, feelings within a lot of individuals. And we had to address um, a lot of these mistreatments and, 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 and I did in a way that they, they weren't expecting. Right. And, mm-hmm. and, and so with him, I really said, you know what, let me dig, dig in here. Let me try to help out. Let me try to get justice for this case. We did do it. And, and, and like you were saying earlier, um, I don't look at the institution as a whole and blame everybody within the institution, because like you said, I assume positive intentions on human beings. So mm-hmm. majority of us wake up each and every day, know it's a struggle. We're dealing with gravity. We're dealing with bills. Um, but we we more than likely are trying to take that best step forward. And so I knew that that many police are doing that. But I knew that Derek Chauvin in this case couldn't have backtracked and done that. So I stood out on that um, and we got the, you know, basically the verdict that we wanted. But to go back to what you were saying, um, I entered entered this nuanced world with the with this this mindset of saying, you know what, all police are bad. Let me help take the narrative within the area that I'm at, being Minneapolis, being my having my encounters and having police. Um, his name was actually Phil Johnson. Um, mm-hmm. 
changed my life, right? And so, mm-hmm. um, so that's what I bring when I bring my perspective to it. So, okay, well, and if you're like me, I know people within the police department, and that's Absolutely. the public narrative. And when you talk to them, that's a different kind of perspective on things. And Correct. actually, people would be surprised at some of the things uh, that the people behind the scenes are saying versus what they we're hearing on the news and, and television. So tell us a little bit, I guess, uh, Jonathan, about your current family. How many children uh, did you say? You so have? I actually, I have five children now. I um, just had two COVID babies of two baby boys. So I have a 13-year-old. I have a nine-year-old. Um, I have a, se- a six turning seven-year-old. Then I have a six or uh, 18-month a year and a half year old, <laughs> and then I have a, a six month. Oh, okay. So you better stay motivated and work it right. <laughs> oh, I got to. I, I got to make sure that money's coming in at all uh, from all angles. And that's very good. I tell everyone, and you hit on it earlier. If having a, a child does not change your life and your perspective, it's something wrong there. And we'll talk about this. I'm not going to get into it now, but one of my pet peeves is that. The way uh, we're not sometimes valuing our children, and I tell everyone, uh, when people start talking about issues with youth and things, that what they're really talking about are issues with us adults, because they are reflective of us and what we're doing. So let let me ask you a couple things about your education, because I saw where you majored in, and this is where I'm going, Criminalistics and yep. criminal science, and yep. I had never heard that word criminalistics before, uh, and I didn't have time to look it up. So I'm expecting for someone who majored in criminalistics to explain right. to me and my audience exactly what that is. Okay, absolutely. So there are several different causes, right, that make a criminal. Right, there's some people who um are in need of something there is people who um have an uncontrollable desire to do something bad there's individuals who are opportunistic where they say oh man look there's a nice bike right there let me go grab it Mm -hmm. um but there's several different methods within criminology and i think um many times you know depending on your perspective or Mm -hmm. your personal bias a criminal can look very different to an individual. And so I really thought to myself, you know, and, and you know, I'm 35 years old. I've um, dug and done a lot of research and a lot of work around criminology. And, um, and, and you realize that, like you said earlier, the human, the human humanity as a whole, generally, for the most part, unless you're just a psychopath, have positive intentions they they want to do good right mm-hmm. and sometimes um humans they feel like they they're too far behind the hate ball mm-hmm. and 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 majority of uh criminals who they call career criminals right mm-hmm. they feel like there's no hope um they feel like you know even if i got a job i'm a felon you know um, if it's a, a particular crime that they are embarrassed of, they don't mm-hmm. want to take the risk of putting themselves in a position to have to explain it, whether it's like a sexual crime or whatever the case may be. Um, mm-hmm. And what and what that does is hinder 
I think us as human beings for progress. And, and that's where I really want to jump in because, you know, I'm, I'm creating, um, um, prison reform outreach programs where people, you know, who have done their time, right. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, get out from up under that umbrella and it lets you be a useful taxpayer. Right. right. I, I always say, I want to have them be a useful person for society, but ultimately when we're paying these taxes, which we will with inflation and everything that's coming, Mm-hmm. How can we create a now productivity around these individuals who do still have worth? Right. And, and that's where, you know, I wanted to do- dive in in criminology and account. And, and many times, even the institution was forcing me more into this law enforcement realm. And that's not kind of where I was heading. So mm-hmm. I kind of had to take a step back because everybody says, well, you have a criminal justice degree and you're criminology and then you're fighting out here for justice. What are you doing? Why don't you go work at the police department? But before I do all that, I understand business and stuff like that. And and so that's what made me really actually get into criminology and, and, and you know, criminal justice. Okay, so I'm summarizing the, uh, the definition of criminalistics or whatever. Yeah, yeah criminalistics. As, as, as kind of combination of criminology and human uh, psychology and, and human behavior and trying to understand and get into the minds of the criminals and things like that. Uh, you're probably familiar, and we're not going to talk about it here, about uh, the studies in brain science and where they're really understanding the brains and how it relates to criminal activities. In fact, if I recall correctly, the documentary I saw on that is people are not as in control of things as we think they are. Right. And, and absolutely. Yeah. And that's mm-hmm. human be- behavior. I think mm-hmm. we see this in addiction as well. Right. right Many right. times you, you get involved with whether it's drinking, heroin, whatever, crack, cocaine. Um, and the first time they, they had a blast. It was a good time. It was mm-hmm. a great experience. And then they maybe do it, it dependent on the drug or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, the, when addiction kicks in. Many times these individuals don't want to be doing this behavior, but they are slaves to it. And and I think that's where you're heading with that. Yeah. And in fact, you reminded me, they're not only looking at it in terms of criminal behavior, but addiction, as you're saying, and they're coming up with some programs based upon that knowledge and understanding. So let's talk a little bit about your career here. And you mentioned some things. Well, before we get to your current uh, job, let's start. last in first out kind of a thing here you yeah. were a behavioral specialist for the minneapolis public schools uh, what were your responsibilities as a behavioral okay. specialist yeah absolutely so when i first got into minneapolis public schools um come kind of going coming up the ladder trying to see what i wanted to do i was uh they would call it a sea more of like a special education assistant um, and worked my way through, ended up getting my degree um, and became a behavioral specialist. And what I would have to do truly on the each and every day's work, work with these kids, right? Like a Dante, um, right. And work with um, kids who were at Harrison Public Education, excuse me, Harrison mm-hmm. Public Education Center, mm-hmm. where there were issues like um, EBD. Um, ASD, um, uh, PTSD, um, mm-hmm. many of these um, um, things that, you know, would traumatize a kid or or they would call special needs. Mm-hmm. Um, I was working in those facets. So 
uh, my duties were, you know, I would de-escalate. I would talk to parents. I would make uh, plans and agendas for kids. I would uh, request, you know, whether they need to go see, you know, a counselor or uh, a psychologist or something like this. So I, those were a lot of my duties other than, you know, basically maintaining and, and, and tending to silly behavior, um, which ultimately led to me wanting to say, you know what, I've helped out in my community long enough. I'm not going to school for 12 years. Right. And and I in in being in that arena, and I hopefully right. we can touch on this, me being more conservative, being in a liberal in a liberal arena, um, kind of frustrated me because they were playing this victimhood right. Um, right. On, right. on our culture and I hated it. Yeah. And, and yeah, we got, we'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit because I don't uh, get along well with people who see the world as perpetrators and victims uh, and that simplistic type of thing. Uh, how, well, you kind of implied it in your answers. Uh, did you make a difference in these children? Because sometimes it's pretty tough. Yes. All you can help to do is, hope to do is kind of help them out a little bit. But you look, were there cases where you looked up uh, down the road or some ch uh, a student you work with and you say, you know what? Absolutely. I really made a difference. Give us. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, and okay. the cool thing about working in Minneapolis, especially mm -hmm. on the north side, right, is not only do I see these kids all the time, right? They mm -hmm. do grow up to be successful young men and women in our own community. So mm -hmm. I've had dozens, maybe 50, 60 kids that I know I made a direct you know, difference in, and they still, you know, lifelong friends, you know, I'm more of like a big bro to them. Um, but I, they reach out to me, you know, whether their family knows they're missing, they reach out to me and me being a community advocate leader of such that a lot of people still reach out to me via Facebook and say, Hey man, Mason, some of my students, how can I help your protests and stuff like that? So that's amazing. And it, it's an amazing thing to see these kids, um, you know, get out of these situations and then become successful well someday I, I i've been involved in the education field and been into a lot of these schools and in fact i helped start up a charter school and uh, one of these days i'd like to uh, sit down and talk about your experience there a little bit more uh Absolutely. and you hinted at something earlier uh were there times when you uh, bumped up against the bureaucracy and give me the type of besides and you mentioned something fundamental about uh, victimhood and, and and we can talk about that too because that's one of the issues in fact I tell people I, I've walked out of uh, seminars at the Minnesota Department of Education because they got into this whole victimhood and lower Absolutely. expectation and lower standards and I don't buy that at all and and you have to know I'm one of those people. I'm not ever for lowering any standards for any reason. If anything, I want to raise the standards for our children. Right. And because I know they can do it. So this whole lowering the standards, and that's one of the reasons I walked out. But uh, you had to bump heads uh, at Absolutely. times. Uh, do you uh, care to share with our audience? Uh, oh, for uh, sure. Yeah, uh, some for of the, sure. Some of those Absolutely. Things? And I can tell you about actually what the incident that kind of put me out or not put me out, but um, ultimately them settling with me because um, you're just not going to put me out for doing nothing right. Right. Um, uh -huh. and, and so um, so what happened was I was at um, Edison High School, actually, mm -hmm. and there was an incident where um, a kid made a threat, said they were going to kill a particular group of people. It happened to be black men. And I was there and it wasn't that many black men there with me willing to speak out so you know me i said hold on 
Um, I talked to the district. I said, you know what? I'm, I got to go figure this out. Trying to figure out who made this threat. We end up finding out who it was. Um, but after me standing up and saying, hold on, you know, you guys are treating black kids a little different. You're treating them a little different. You're not going to treat me different. Right. And so mm -hmm. I, I spoke out. I talked to Don Samuels. I talked to a lot of different people who were on the school board at that time mm -hmm. and, and really wasn't getting anywhere. So I told myself, you know what, that's it. Um, but I, I, I didn't say that to anyone. Um, but you know, I kept going to work each and every day doing what I had to do. And eventually they actually wanted to do an investigation on me. Right. And so it was just a random investigation. Didn't tell me what it was about. It didn't make sense, but I knew then I said, you know what? I got to start recording. So mm -hmm. I start recording. This is when we, everybody was, you know, trying to you figure it out. And, you know, all these different movements were coming out. So I was recording and, and they slipped up a lot of times. Right. And uh -huh. the district uh -huh. did. And they gave me this lawyer from the district, from the union, and she was in it, in on it with them. It's collusion. It's collusion. And uh -huh. so, um, and, and, and that's what I ultimately said. And, um, you know, they held me out for a year and a half, paid me, right. Told me stay at home. So, you know, kept my mind wondering, but really I was at a standstill and that, that year and a half was probably the best time of my life because it really showed me that there was more to, um, you know, life other than trying to go this elitist route because that's what it right. was it was more uh, the elitist route going to i will get a degree and then they'll let me in and it wasn't the case right, right and right. that's eventually what made me start my own um business but i end up winning the case they took me all they I, they said oh we'll go to arbitration literally the day before arbitration the minneapolis public schools called me and i will cut you a check um and then you just don't really you know, you can't work here no more. I said, all right, cool. Cut the check. Um, but I was already on my way to starting my consulting firm and, and that, which led me on to doing a lot of the trainings, even for the Minneapolis public school. So I do teach teachers and this is kind of my side gig. Um, well, it was kind of major going on cultural mm -hmm. competency, right? Right, right, <laughs> right, was, right. Yeah, all the black folks are in it, right, in the city. Right. <laughs> um, so I actually started my own consulting firm, started doing the training, but really decided, you know what, I'm not going to be selling, I'm not going to be trying to teach grown-ups how to deal with individuals. So I said, you know what, let me get into this, this marketing, media, um, technology world, and, and let's bring some of these solutions to our communities. And that's what I've been doing um, since then. Well, you mentioned uh, a couple of things here that uh, I'll spend a little time on. Just the uh, background of a lot of these students, especially young male students. And I'm of the opinion that one of the reasons uh, the achievement gap will won't, won't be resolved by educators because they're not willing to do the right thing. And you mentioned you're dealing with institutions and they have history and things like that and bureaucracies and things like that. Uh, but one of the reasons is just a lack of discipline. And uh, part of it is, is that I see a young black teenagers, if you don't connect with them, and it's hard for certain people to connect with them, uh, it's easy for you to be afraid of them. Oh, and, and, and you know what? And I'm mm -hmm. glad that you mentioned that, because like I referenced earlier, um, I did lose my father young. And so I was one of those wild black kids. Um, you know, everybody's parents were like, oh, man, here comes Jonathan. I was, uh, yeah, I was a smooth criminal, to say the least. Uh -huh. But I was... I was something to be reckoned with, especially, you know, in the hood and I was doing mm -hmm. wild stuff. But when I said that is you, you hit it right on the nose. 
that's why it is imperative that black men over mm -hmm. the age of, I would say, 21, I started when I was starting to help give back at about 21, 22, getting out of college. I um, think it is imperative that we go out there and go connect with our culture and go help guide our young boys. Not You're not being a big homie, not being a gang leader right. or you go doing theft rings, but really telling them, nah, let's get into the software development. Let me start an LLC with you and then you guys go hit the neighborhoods and we can market. But right that's not happening well what i respect about our young people is is that uh they know when you care about them Absolutely. Uh, and uh, a lot of our especially our young uh, black youth uh they really appreciate it. you can tell when when an older person take time out to show that they care and to guide them it's amazing the difference uh, uh when you connect with these young men so we'll talk about that sometimes uh also so um so you're in there. What what about the typical? Whether you mentioned some uh, mental issues, and uh, I know that. Well, first of all, let me. While I'm thinking about this, you mentioned special needs, and I know that's a buzzword out there. I, you know, I, I made the mistake of mentioning that as a general term, right? Without right. realizing that that to some people that's a buzz terms about oh, how they're is. mistreating our children. Uh, Tell me a little bit of, uh, about that whole special needs area, because it is something you have to be skeptical of. And I do know parents, the last thing they want is to put their children in any type of special need because they think it's going to follow them the rest of their life. We're misclassifying children. So tell us, the audience, of your experience in that area. Yeah, absolutely. So I worked with a lot of kids with EBD. And if you don't know what EBD is, it's emotional behavior disorder. Mm -hmm. um, they would say, but like you said, many of our kids, especially within our culture, when the the adults aren't able to connect with them, they list it and misdiagnose it as EBD. Um, but is there EBD out there? Absolutely. Right. And a lot of that stuff comes from, you know, how they were raised, um, the 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 environments that they're in sometimes. Um, but also I worked in the um the background of ASD and Asperger's um with right. okay. children uh -huh. as well. Uh -huh. And and that is probably one of the most peculiar um areas that I've ever worked with because the intellect with oh, yeah. some of these kids and some exactly. of these people within the strict the spectrum is it's you still can't even put it on a uh, on a scale because these kids are amazing um but it is some of those social uh social cues that they are not um the best at and and I think us as a society you know and and you know we are we're in these different generations like you said you will be the shoulders that hopefully God willing myself and my kids will be able to stand on and then me myself being in that same position um, but sometimes within these generational gaps, right? Because I would talk to my grandma from Chicago, who's 87 years old, said, baby, we ain't never heard of no ASD. And none of my kids ain't never <laughs> right, right. ASD right yeah, now. I was going to go there after you finished. Hey, hey. hey. <laughs> and so, and that's real, right? And, right, and right. I'm not saying that's real, but I'm saying right. that cultural uh, norm is real for us. So, you know, us being willing to, and, and, and I, hopefully we can dig on this a little bit, but my partner, uh, Royce White always talks about mental health and that being the arena where a lot of people haven't indulged in yet. And that is going to be the leading most existential um, crisis in the future if we don't address it. 
Well, a couple of things you brought up uh, and, and to uh, let our audience know about some of the future guests that we have coming up. We're going to get Royce on to talk about his experiences there. I got a author who wrote a best-selling on autism and that whole spectrum. We're going to get them him on here also, and we need to talk about that. Uh, but going back what you mentioned about your grandmother... Uh, right. And I think D.L. Hughley had a, a little joke he wrote. <laughs> uh, send him home and he won't have ASD when he gets back here tomorrow. <laughs> hey, 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 look, and with it, and, 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 we, and this is, you know, and for many of the black families that I've worked one on one with. Right. And they mm -hmm. want me to speak this truth. And many people and many of your guests will probably chime in on this point. But they do push a lot of these diagnoses on our children and 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 it doesn't just be it's not just victimhood but when they can't interact with a kid and you know i had a teacher one time and i i i would never forget it right she's this girl from bermidji just got out of college she comes to the north side right ebd um um you know ebt harris ebd at Harrison is almost like the cliche diagnosis, right? Mm -hmm. And she gets there, she gets up in their face. This one, you know, I had this one black kid. He's he's about six, seven, right? She he's 15 years old. He been shot at, shot, all that. She comes in his face and she's trying to demand him to pull his pants up, right? And he's like, hold on, hey. And she's all up in his face, let me help you. And and he's man, back up off me. Well, I came in the room, right? And he said, oh, here he come, here he come. He pulled his pants up. And so she said, how did you do that? And I said, well, I didn't have to. He knows what I want him to do. And we've already had that conversation. It was real. And, and, and she said, well, he was not interacting with me that way. And he was giving me a bad attitude. And I was thinking, potentially, is this EBD, right? Mm -hmm. and, and, and you realize and say, whoa, if you thought that was... EBD and you're diagnosing kids and you have the connections with psychologists and you guys are just throwing these kids on pills. This is an issue. And so that is happening, unfortunately. And, and that's why parenting in having these strong role models within our communities is vital for these advocacy um, measures, because if not, many of our kids are on these drugs for no reason. Right. And, and and another thing you point out that is an issue is that I've sat in a lot of these meetings and I'm like, that's not going to gonna work with this kid. In right. Fact, absolutely. In fact, I'm sitting there thinking, you know what? This kid is probably sitting here thinking that you're the wackest person in the world. And I understand why. And they bring in all this stuff they learned in college and, and they just don't know the children. Uh, right. But once again, back to the whole behavior issues and things like that. And I haven't quite figured this out yet. Right. But I do know that uh, generally speaking, kids didn't act up at our schools and, and we didn't have kids classified and we all learn. But I'm beginning to look at because a lot of times it's a little detailed, subtle things. I look at some of the children that I know today, especially young boys, they're locked up in the house all day. Uh, we're setting them up for failure. And I just know that when we were growing up, I, I talked about this earlier, we had a chance during the daytime to get all that energy out. And right. by the time we came right. in the house in the evening, we were ready to go to bed. But now I look at, and I'm observing these children inside, they're just bored to death and they're constantly getting into things and we're constantly reacting to them. And 
And when you uh, put a childhood of that type of activities, when they get to be adults, that's going to be some issues. And Absolutely. I, I've talked about this before, and I think it's common in the cities. Uh, even my little grandson, when we take him out to play, I was telling someone this the other day, I took him out to one of these little playgrounds. And while I was sitting there, it dawned on me that he didn't know any of the children he was playing with. In fact, he really wasn't playing with the children. It was more about the things that they had in there. Uh, and right. I'm like, what a sad way to live. Or even seeing young children, young boys especially, in the house all day yeah. uh, and with, with nowhere to go. And we had a rule growing up, uh, out the adults. Kids were not even allowed in the house, especially boys, during the day. You get up and you go oh, play. No. So, so, oh, so, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of little soul things in the way we are raising our children that I suspect, I'm not sure, it's affecting uh, their adulthood and, and, and in a lot of ways probably uh, responsible for some of, to a certain extent, for some of the crime and the violence and stuff because just the Absolutely. way we're raising our children. So I don't want to beat that too much. Um, right. So as a behavioral specialist, and we're going to go on to some other things you're doing, uh, recently... Uh, there have been a lot of uh, use of online learning instead of having our children in class and having the socialization. Right. Uh, we hear that uh, it's not successful. It's, it's bad for our children. Right. Uh, some people are still doing it, though. But what's your uh, perspective on this online learning and the fact that well, a lot of Go ahead. Mm -hmm. I can I can get right to, to it. Well, being that I do have five children, right? Right, right. Um, it has there has been tons of ad adversity, right? I have a good Wi-Fi service, right? But when it was kids all at the house streaming at the same time, I had to I had to up the yeah, um, right. ampage. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so, really, what what it's doing to our children on the social level you touched on, but also in the development stages yeah. of them being able to socialize with other kids, you know, have those interactions, not, not necessarily with bullies, but with other individuals in their communities. And they have to go through certain things there and, and, and engage with other kids. But right now, being that we are in a pandemic out of our control, um, it has exacerbated the, 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 the cultural gaps that we have already got mm -hmm, and whether mm -hmm. it's black kids, young black boys, primarily in the city due to, you know, the industrial area area era and them being the products of that. Right. <clears throat> they are in, you know, high populated areas where there is violence, there is drugs, poverty, right. Um, and it, it, people, somebody was asking me the other day, I go, why do you think that um, violent crime and the, the carjackings are up? <laughs> Poverty, right? There aren't solutions or jobs for our kids. And that's what I'm hoping to bring on the positive side. I am creating a, 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 a job core for the youth. And, and it's going to be very easy. You don't have to jump through a thousand hoops. You sign out. Hey, I go to Jackson Middle School. Um, I'm in. I'm 14. I'm 13, 14 years old. I know how to rake. I know how to shovel. I know how to clean up. I know how to pick up trash. And mm -hmm. where's the job at? 
let's start on Broadway and Lindale. We're gonna work our way down. And 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 really having that type of mindset for our children, and this is what I'm encouraging black men all across our city to do is let's join hands and be united on this front for our children to start these simple programs. Let's clean up. We're gonna clean up, we're gonna clean up trash, we're, we're gonna start taking down the graffiti. We're going to be protectors within our neighborhood. We're going to tell on the crime. We're going to work with the police to get this stuff changed so we aren't in this feeling of uh, emergency all day. Well, you mentioned, and we're going to talk about your technology and stuff later, but you just mentioned something that never crossed my mind. If you have five students in your house and they're all doing online learning, you need to up your bandwidth on your Wi-Fi, I never thought automatically. About that. Amad, and and wow. if you have your okay. laptop going, if right, you're on right. a Zoom call meeting, right, then you right. got the TV running in the background, all the iPads on. Oh man, it could go quick. Uh, I'm old school, and I'm not that big a fan of a lot of the online technology and zooming, and they have to. Uh, uh, carry me kicking and screaming to zooms and well, things like that. Well, you're doing just fine with the show. <laughs> uh, and you know, uh, I think uh, one of the reasons that uh, we don't really appreciate uh, what the detriment online learning is doing is because we as adults don't appreciate the detriment online social media stuff is doing to us and our society, and we just got bingo. To, yeah, we got used to bad things, and uh, and I always think about social media kind of like gunpowder. Uh, it can be good or bad. Uh, you would think that this technology could would be used to bring us closer together, uh, but it's being used to bring out the worst in us in a lot of ways. And the reason I make right. the analogy to gunpowder is because it's my understanding that gunpowder that exists. The Chinese had it for hundreds of years, or maybe a thousand. Way years. before Marco Polo went right, 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 right. over to Europe. Right, right. And they was using it for celebration and stuff. Fireworks. And, right, fireworks. And then somebody said, "Hey, we could use it to kill people with." And go, go, put it with the steel and metal that the right, Europeans right, had, right, and right. boom, that was it. And that's the way I look at social media. Sometimes something that we could use to celebrate bring us together we're using it and we turn it into bullets and things like that but anyway that's yeah. enough of that analogy <laughs> yeah no uh, that's okay so you were also i understand a, a cultural competency facilitator what a title yes. that is jonathan so tell us yeah, what you I, did well, yeah well, so of human services right yeah but so yep for um actually yes so um Basically, I got I had to go through a training through the state of Minnesota, um, which was cool. And so Dr. Price, she, you know, she has been a warrior on the front lines with um, a lot of the curriculum and stuff that she's been teaching, um, really got into the small business realm. So that and, and I, I want to touch on this. So mm -hmm. being that I was taking the cultural competency trainings and stuff to be a facilitator, right? There was one other black man in the build room with me, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe three, four black women, and the rest were white women, right? Mm -hmm. And and it really dawned on me, right? And I said, this almost is a a, a subject that it should be almost required to be taught by black people, but we have now 
many individuals who seemingly want to help, I guess, but really now we've got into the realm of now cultural competency. I, you know, many people don't even want to talk about it because it's almost intertwined with critical race theory at this point. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we had to take a step back and say, hold on, what's going on with the curriculum? Cause we already know the curriculum's a little off and it is pushing an agenda, but now this is, I think for a bigger conversation for us to all have and, and being a cultural competency facilitator, I would say, I, I, I haven't did any meetings since COVID. Right. right, right, um, right. And I probably won't be doing any meetings um, because I'm just in this other realm. Right. But it, it really dawned on me that there, they are having these type of, maybe it's critical race theory, maybe it's consult, uh, cultural competency, but we have the wrong individuals teaching it. And so it may, made me kind of hesitate on that uh, on that path. And uh, right for right now, I, I guess I still have that title, but that's what I was right. doing for it. So help me understand, what is the goal of a cultural competency facilitator? What are we trying to achieve? And, and, at the end of the day, explaining in terms of making a difference uh, in the proficiency in reading and math and things eventually, because right, that's right. the bottom line. So what's the goal? Yeah. Uh, so I think, you know, in, 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 in many times, I think I referenced the, the girl coming from Bemidji, mm -hmm. never seen a black kid in her life. She came down the first time. She's seen a couple on the football team. She came down to North, North Minneapolis okay. and everybody was black, right? And mm -hmm. I think cultural competency for those type of teachers where you're saying you're entering a, new, a different culture, a different environment, and it's time for you to be cognizant of that and to understand that there are social norms that are a lot different. You don't mm -hmm. just walk up and, and, but you know, I had Dr. Shockey and this is why I want to circle back on it because mm -hmm. it, it is actually silly. It isn't, it's not teaching our kids arithmetic or reading and English and all that other, all the other things, but it's actually, you know, having many points of views on what you think cultural competency. And, and I want to touch on one moment, um, one um, moment I had with Dr. Shockey. And I don't know if you guys know Dr. Shockey, he comes in, he comes in from California and he gets Minneapolis public schools up for about 150, 200 K every year. And right, then he right, fly right. back out there. But you know, he told him, man, don't come up in our kids face smiling. Our kids don't like to smile in the early morning. And I just, and, and to me, it rubbed me the wrong way as a black man, because like, Hey, look, Every single morning, I'm blessed to be alive. I'm smiling every morning. So just because one kid don't want you smiling or you didn't like somebody smiling, that ain't cultural competency. So I really was like, you know what? And, you know, nothing against Dr. Shockey. I know Minneapolis public schools still got them on contract coming in. <laughs> and, but with that being said, is many people are voicing the same thing I'm saying. It, it's it's really your perspective on it. And, and, and with that being said, is if we're having a whole bunch of liberal Mm -hmm. white women teaching cultural competency to other black folks. What does that actually look like? And are we just in this realm of political correctness and we're trying to figure out this, this major issue that we still some, for some reason haven't resolved. And I think it's going to take us right. um, within our own community to make that change. Well, it's interesting. And uh, uh, I see the clock is moving here, but uh, the charter school that I started, we had, a lot of black male involvement. Uh, we had, we worked with, well, the goal was to work with deacons and men out in the community to work with our young men. Where I'm getting at leadership 
set right. an example uh, mm -hmm. of the culture that we lived in. And and what the other thing I'm going to add to that, uh, most of our teachers were young, white females, newly graduated. But but guess what? We didn't have huh. those type of issues because we right. set an environment where set they the knew. Yeah, the leadership set that, and, and, and so they knew that. And see, in. and that was nice that that is able to be facilitated in right. a charter school because you're not going to be able to. I know, do that I, know in I know, I know, I know, yeah, I know, <laughs> I know. Uh, so let's talk about your business background because yeah. I'm sorry, I just we're just getting to this because in a lot of no, ways, no worries. Uh, what I encourage people to do is take advantage of the system, start businesses. Uh, create wealth and those type of things because I think ultimately that's a big part of the solution along with quality education, along with rebuilding our families. And I'm just a big believer in the importance of having a faith-based life and a purposeful life. And I think with those four things that we will get to the root of a lot of these issues without them, we, they're going to continue. That's just, I hope I'm wrong. Uh, I think we are throwing a lot of money and band-aids at some of these things uh, that would never fix. Uh, but let's talk about your business. Okay. Uh, I know you've uh, got a, a company called Mason Tree Consulting. What? And you're the CEO and founder of that. Yeah. What does Mason Tree Consulting do, Mr. Mason? Yeah, absolutely. So, and I, let me uh, take a step back and how okay. it all started. Okay. Um, when I was in Minneapolis Public Schools, I told you I was on that long break. I, I really thought about what do I like to do? What what was my passion? And I always had a, a passion for building, right, in carpentry. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I began Mason Tree Furniture originally. Oh, and I, uh, yeah, so I made really unique, um, you know, coffee table, sofa table, um, end tables, rustic, pottery barn-like. And I start putting them online and I was selling them 300 a pop, 400 a pop. And I had four or five people coming on a day at 250 a pop. That's 1200 That's $1,250. So when I realized, hold on, I just made 1250 My back was hurting, right? And uh, I was I had splinters all over my fingers, but I had $1,250. And I said, uh -huh. you know what? I ain't ever going back to work and waking up. And I had the motivation within myself to wake up every morning and say, let me get out there and make five, four or five tables and the clients are coming. So that's what really made me start my business. And then it morphed into, um, you know, building this consulting firm. And that's mm -hmm. kind of where I, I found my niche working with individuals and helping bring out these passions within them and their business as well. And so I started Mason tree consulting and then I've been doing that ever since. Well, it sounds like you took high school shop, maybe. Right. Okay. Maybe, I, I did. You know what? I did. I got a I got a scar on my knuckle from um, um, from shop class. Um, shout out to Sandberg Middle School. Um, uh -huh. but I um uh, I did find a passion in it, and that's why I do encourage young black kids. Um, find these young passions. We we don't we're not we didn't just build the country for no reason, right? Right. Right. We can right. build, and and so. Let's use those skills to bring, like you said, generational wealth. Right. And I do know we talked about uh, how we met the social media. I know you're into uh, technology and stuff. Explain to yeah. us what you're doing in the social media technology area uh, nowadays. Yeah. Absolutely. So, you know, like you said, have mentioned, we did meet on this, uh, you know, business and social media realm. Um, but also what I've been focusing on is platforms and solutions. and 
so I've been working with a company, um, Keaton Solutions. And they lo they're located in um, Bloomington, Minnesota. The CEO, Lori Klaus, such an amazing woman. I've known her for years, all my life. Um, worked as the VP um, over at Epicor um, with George Klaus. They sold that for just under a billion dollars. And she started... Um, um, uh, Keaton Solutions in Minnesota. They are uh, ERP um, and CRM platform that allows small businesses, businesses, large corporations to use project management um, solutions for their companies. And um, and she, you know, how I was brought in was, you know, I did some work for them um, and, and uh, on the, you know, business development side. And I seen a lot of the solutions for our culture and community within technology. And I said, that's where it is, whether it's NFTs, Web3, um, and really getting into this realm to showing uh, our kids and saying, no, it's bigger than Facebook, it's bigger than Instagram, but we can create solutions and software solutions for the community to help rise everybody from mm -hmm. this 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 wick of wicked uh, oppression that we're dealing with. Right. Well, uh, you just reminded me, uh, I've been approached by a technologist and investor and just a well-rounded young man. We're looking at some text type stuff, online learning type stuff, culturally sensitive stuff. I'm going to pull you into that discussion uh, sooner or later and, and have you give us some guidance on that. Uh, so as we started out talking about uh, just achieving and overcoming obstacles. Uh, explain, uh, at least share with our audience, uh, some of the kind of obstacles, uh, major obstacles that you uh, encountered, uh, what your attitude was in overcoming them and, and things like that. Yeah, um, and, you, and you referenced it. I, I was raised the same way. Life isn't fair, right? And you can have a lot of these situations in our life, whether it's, you know, self-induced or, you know, just of the luck of the draw, where you can say, you know what, I give up, I'm done. And, and for me, I really ran into multiple situations, whether it was, you know, I was in college and I wasn't sure on what I wanted to do. You know, I felt like I was, I was getting into a lot of debt. Um, but ultimately found my passion and, and many of the obstacles, which, you know, at the time I thought were obstacles, but those right, were right. where I was really getting, gaining my strength where, you know, taking the decision and saying, you know what, I'm going to get married, um, at a young age when everybody's saying, Hey man, you're still young. Why try to have kids and why do that? Um, and, and I, in my head, I was planning for the future. I, I knew, <laughs> thank God I knew um, that at 35, being that I do have a newborn, basically six months, that I couldn't start right now, realistically, because I would be so tired, I wouldn't even be able to play with them. So though, you know, having children at a young age was one of the, um, 
things are obstacles, I believe that I had to um, get through, but ultimately that taught me patience and it taught oh, yeah. me respect and, oh, and yeah. having three girls first, cause you know, I, I wanted, you know, I wanted a boy. I always told myself, I never wanted to say a boy or a girl, just a healthy baby. Um, but with three girls, bang, bang, bang. I said, God, come on, let me get a couple boys. <laughs> Felt like Abraham. Um, and, and, and I, and so I, um, um, had those adversities you know my dad my father dying as a as a young man and not really having you know any black um men as uh you know role models within my life none you know my, mm -hmm. my all my other family were in you know chicago and you know not many role models coming out of there um where they're coming from um or memphis tennessee right um but i did have my grandfather and so i did have my grandfather on my mother's side um and 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 but the obstacles as a young man being in minnesota and i was i criminalized absolutely do was i doing a lot of bad stuff that i didn't get caught for absolutely um but ultimately i had to get over the feeling of being a black man feeling like i'm about to die at 21 and right, people right, say right. You, and being bad and saying hey you know what jonathan you're gonna be dead or in jail at 21 regardless and me getting to 21 years old which is I still laugh at myself and even 25 years old when I was, I was celebrating for real. Like I got it to 21. I told all y'all <laughs> and it was like, I was educated already. And I was like, man, you still have that. But within our in culture, sometimes they embed this so hard oh, systematically yeah. where you feel like you're going to die. So a lot of those, like you said, the victimization obstacles that they put put on you as a black man within this society, um, I had to get over. And once I got over it, I felt like the world was mine. And and that that's what I would leave many of the black kids with, or in many of the viewers, that you, any obstacle that and 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 I'm a you know a religious man, but also you know a faith based man, and say that God won't give you more than you can bear. And so, and, and if he's giving you a lot, that means you're going to be doing some major stuff. And I, and I really take that with me. And, and when I'm going through hard stuff, that's what get, gets me through because I said, Hey man, it must be for a reason. Um, and so that's, and that, and those are the type of things when I talk about obstacles that I think about, um, enduring and, in and making it through. So, uh, sometime I have a challenge pacing myself on this podcast. And for some reason, I thought about the car wash I went through a few weeks ago, where once it's done washing your car, it started blowing to dry it off, and you have to pace your car at just the right, right pace to get it all dry. Correct. And sometimes it's like that on my podcast. My pacing is just a little off. And I'm saying that to say this. I got a lot of more things that I would like for us to take up and we will and i normally try to bring all my guests back but i felt like i i i, I didn't leave myself enough time at the end and, and 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 the back of my car didn't get dried you know oh kind of it's thing. okay because it have that, a time that means on there's it. a part two coming yeah a part two i have to go back around but i really really appreciate you taking time uh with me on the podcast today i think Absolutely. you represent uh everything that we want uh, to convey uh, to our communities and the fact that uh, once again I, I mentioned business business development I mentioned education I mentioned family I mentioned faith 
and you touch all those bases, young man. And so proud of you, proud of the fact that you got married at a young age, you still got your family and still married and still raising your family. And you realize the importance of that in your right. development as a man. Right. And, and and once again, I just stress and I don't want to get on my soapbox here, but it's just hard for me to understand how a man can really be all he is designed to be without a wife and a family that he's right. And, and I think, you know, he told us in the beginning, hey, find you a wife. And this is what I got in, 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 in procreate. Right. 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 And I see so many people, you know, taking that more, and I would say more selfish route and saying, I'm just going to have a dog and not have any kids and I'm going to find a girl and I'm going to be with a whole bunch of them until you're 35 and you say, Hey, look, ain't no girls. I better should have kept her. And man, I wish I would have had my kids. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And that's a, uh, athlete and a bad boy growing up teenagers and stuff uh we can look back on see how positively that shaped us and you mentioned the patience and you mentioned the thoughtfulness and understanding and basically i guess for me uh understanding as a man and the head of your family that you get your satisfaction through others and doing what you want to do and living up living up to your responsibilities. So, Absolutely. Jonathan, we're going to end it on that note. No, as a matter of fact, I, as the host, should not end it. I'm going to let you end it and uh, send our audience off with the final positive message. Yep. I think um, with everything that we're enduring right now within our society, I think it's time for us to really come together with solutions and um, work together and try to not find what divides us, but actually pulls us together. And um, I want to thank you, Lacey, for having me on the show. Um, for anybody who wants to reach out to me, you can reach me on my Facebook or instant message, Jonathan Mason, J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N-M-A-S-O-N. If you want to email me, it's Jonathan Mason at masontreeconsulting.com. Um, and then, or if you want to reach out to Lacey on any time, you would love to collaborate. We're more than willing, but thank you, you so much, that. Lacey, for having me. Well, uh, it's proud. I'm proud to ha- try to lead some shoulders for the, your young generation to stand on. And, and uh, you, you're doing that, my man. Yeah. You're doing yeah. That. And so that makes me feel good. So have a good evening. Say hi to the family and the wife. And uh, yes. we'll talk to you soon, uh, John. You as well. Thank you so much, Lacey. Okay. Thanks, Jonathan. Good night, everyone, from Bright Lights. <laughs>